that running a veterinary business can sometimes feel like you're fighting your way through a jungle of financial insecurity, HR nightmares, and overall business confusion. Our goal is to give you the ideas and tools you need to not just survive in this jungle, but to thrive in the veterinary industry. By combining over 50 years of knowledge and experience with differing opinions and a little humor, we will help you get the information you need to make the best decisions for you and your veterinary business. Welcome to the Veterinary Survival Show with veterinary CPA and certified financial planner, Mark McGon, and certified veterinary practice manager and practice owner, Jenny George. Welcome to today's edition of the Veterinary Survival Show with your podcast co-host, Jenny George, CVPM and practice owner, and Mark McGon, CPA to the stars. And rock star. And rock star in his own right. I'm not holding up the devil horns or anything. I do like metal music and 80s and all of the above. Glam rock. Queensryche. Queensryche. Love Queensryche. Striper. Oh, yeah. Journey. We're already off topic. Way off topic. We're going to talk about business and corporate medicine and all of the positives and the negatives. Our goal today is to hopefully educate you about what you can do to kind of be like corporate without being corporate. If that's your eventual goal, more power to you. But I always tell our clients, why not beat them at their own game? Make the money that they do, become more efficient, do all the things that are positive. And I think like we said in our last podcast, do more positive things and replicate those and do less of the things that aren't furthering your business. I think that's good. And as a private practice owner, you and I have had this conversation before, and I tend to be on the corporate is the devil. And Mark frequently talks me down, says, no, 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 there's a lot of good. And there is, there are a lot of good things that have come out the organization aspect of it and the way that they have made medicine a little bit more uniformed. So Mark has a lot of really good ideas on how we can take some of those and use them as a smaller private practice or even a larger private practice, but not necessarily corporate owned, but ways that we can kind of use those to better ourselves. Not all corporations are the same. So when we're talking about corporate medicine, we're not talking about one specific corporation. We're just talking about ideas that come from corporate medicine. So the first thing, Mark, what's a buy-in group? Well, Group purchasing organizations kind of came out of actually hardware stores. <laughs> so there are, are cooperatives like Ace Hardware that when they were originally formed, they basically were stores, small business owners that had banded together to pool their resources to get better pricing on products for their little hardware stores. A colleague of mine, his family was involved in Ace Hardware from the get-go, and they would go to trade shows in Vegas where essentially like we in veterinary medicine do, you go there to negotiate with your vendors on the floor. Back then, it was kind of like a trading cattle. They'd give you their price, you'd want your price, and the negotiations would start. Here, buying groups like the Veterinary Cooperative TVC and VMG and AHA's buying group and PSI and VGP, all of these buying groups that are out there, they're out there for one thing primarily. What they started for was to put like-minded owners in the driver's seat of negotiating with vendors. When I go out to buy a car, I don't go out myself. I bring my wife because she's a hard negotiator because her family grew up in the car business. They had two car dealerships. I didn't know how to play the game. So 
there's a lot of veterinarians out there that need buying groups because they're not really good at the game either. Not everybody is a skilled negotiator. I had a group of dentists that formed their own buying group and they were brutal. <laughs> they, I think they they made vendors cry. Okay, that's taking it a little too far. They were to the extreme, but how else do you afford a Lamborghini and a Mercedes that goes 250 miles an hour? I don't know because I drive a minivan, so... <laughs> But what you're doing is when you're joining in a buying group, you're kind of acting like a corporate entity would, a corporate consolidator in veterinary medicine. They pool their resources to whether they have five veterinary hospitals under their umbrella or 2,000 like VCA does or the Mars family. They're pooling their resources to get better pricing, kind of like Walmart does with their vendors. And it hopefully trickles down to your bottom line when you experience a 2% discount over what you would normally get or a 10% or a 20% discount. All of those dollars flow right to the bottom line. So we talk to our hospitals all the time. If they're involved in a buying group, utilize it to its fullest. Just don't join a buying group and be a passive participant. If there are deals to be held out there, you should be taking part in all of those deals. It's not a one and done. Some people say, well, I've negotiated this contract. I'm good for three years. You should always be looking for new opportunities. If there's a new buying group and new vendors post those deals to your current buying group and say, I want to partake in these as well. And hopefully they'll acquiesce and put that vendor on their platform. I know there's a school of thought that you should buy 70% or more of your purchased items through one buying group. So you leverage discounts and rewards and participation benefits, but you should scramble to get the best deals regardless. If you have to join another buying group to take opportunities, we have dentists that join different buying groups purely because the product they want, whether it's equipment or supplies or disposables, if they're not available on one, they'll definitely go to another group. So whether you're doing it or your practice manager is responsible for it, or you as a team are doing it, which I suggest shouldn't be done in a vacuum by one person. What do you have to say about that, Jenny? Is there a benefit to being a member to more than one buying group? Or is it better to just look around at other buying groups and say, hey, I see this. Can I get that from my current buying group? Or is it better to maybe be a member of two different ones and kind of take advantage of certain deals on one and certain deals on another? Should you be involved with as many buying groups as possible? I ask this because I currently am a member of two different buying groups, TVC, which is the Veterinary Cooperative, and PSI, which I have joined through, I think it was Covetris, which is one of the distributors that I purchased from. And TVC, Mark is on, are you on the board? I'm the treasurer. You're the treasurer. Okay. And so I'm just kind of wondering, is that a good thing? Should I be a part of two or should I really just focus on one? And I know if I ask at the buy-in group, they're going to say, oh no, you just want to use ours. But are there benefits to being a member of more than one? It all depends on the participation benefits that you get by increasing your level of purchasing. If you're going to have more product rebates and participation benefits by joining your group and purchasing more through them, then definitely do it. However, if they don't have the products that you want or can't put them on their platform, there's always things going on behind the scenes where they're evaluating new products, but it's taking a longer time. But if it's taking too long for you, that doesn't mean you can't use another buying group. You want to get the best deal for your hospital and the best delivery of products and services for your patient base. So I don't think you should let anything stand in your way. Am I going to get in trouble for saying that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, 
I always act on my client's best interests. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I also love that you started that whole thing with, well, it depends. Mark's all-time favorite phrase is, well, it depends. Mark, what about this? Well, it depends. I swear I'm getting you a t-shirt that <laughs> says that. So yeah, I do like what Mark said about the buy-in group, making sure that you are actively participating. A lot of buy-in groups now do more than just help with inventory. A lot of them have continuing education opportunities and not just for your veterinarians, but for practice managers, for technicians and things like that. A lot of them have forums that you can go and ask questions and get advice. And there are a lot of other opportunities there that you can take advantage of if you are actively participating. I do think the downfall of being involved in multiple buying groups is that you don't have the time to be truly active in all of them. So that's why I just chose two. And you're right. We use IDEX machines, TVC, which is actually, I really like that as a buy-in group because it is truly a lot of small businesses that are together. So I do like being a member of them, but they don't have a, a relationship with IDEX anymore. I'm still going to keep using IDEX. So that's where PSI comes in, I believe. Or actually, I'm very close with our IDEX rep and I talk to them and negotiate myself. But my point is that I think that the best thing that I really like about buy-in groups that I have seen a huge difference in is how much money I get back from larger purchases. We take advantage of vaccine purchases for small and large animal. We order in bulk and I get really nice rebates back that go right back into my business. So I might be getting something, but it's definitely better being a part of a buying group. And when we talk about how this has to do with corporate, Mark, you talked about it, was that a lot of corporates have their own buying groups or are they're just so big that they get the better pricing. So here I am, a, a small business. We have 25 team members. I want really good pricing too. I don't wanna be paying more for something just because I'm not owned by a corporation. So this is how, as a small business, we can beat them at their own game, or however you want to say it, learn from corporate and, and just do things kind of similarly. And this comes down to, we've talked about this before, right? Why are we in veterinary medicine? Customer service, patient care. It goes down to that, right? You can help make things more affordable for your clients so that they can do more for your pets. So it's not just about profit, profit, profit. It is about why are we doing this? And it's to help with the whole aspect of it. If you look at it from a corporate medicine standpoint, every $10,000 that drops to the bottom line because you got better pricing from a vendor, either through a buying group or your own research, if you were selling to a normal associate, that $10,000 in extra profit generates $50,000 extra in value. To a corporate medicine group, that could be $100,000 to $200,000 of extra value. So if Jenny's right, why not beat them at their own game? Create your own value and not let corporate medicine have that value. So I'd rather have 50000 to to 100000 or more in my own pocket and that profit going forward year over year. And if you do a much better job next year and it's not $10,000 that you saved, it's $20,000. Now you have an extra $100,000 of value or more that you created. When we're talking about value, we're talking about Eventually, like if you sell your practice, right? This is what your practice is valued at. 
Why is that? This is kind of off topic, but why if I have $10,000 in profit, why does it go up that much more in my value? I'm really boiling it down like very simply. Please do because you know I won't understand it otherwise. (laughs) It's really the capitalization value of your profit, which is what somebody wants to buy. Somebody isn't going to buy your practice if it has no profit, hence the Bet Partners No Low Practice Study which is trying to create a metric for showing what people will buy and what they won't. If we have zero profit, why would I buy your practice? I could just buy a job. If it has tremendous value, I I have a job and I also have a tremendous investment. It's a potential. So corporate medicine, all they are, they're investors. It's like they're buying Amazon, Google, IBM, Netflix, Bitcoin, which highly leveraged, highly speculative, but it's an investment. I was at a conference four years ago, and there were 25 CPAs, practice valuation experts in the room. And we were talking to the founder of VCA, who said that the Mars family, and I I tell this to all my clients when we talk about corporate medicine, that the Mars family has 2,000 hospitals under their umbrella, and really, they essentially pay cash for them. At any one point in time, they could say, you know what? We don't want to work with U.S. veterinary hospitals anymore. Let's package this up and sell it, or just let's stop buying it, and we're going to move on to buying European or Brazilian veterinary hospitals, or we could go into the dental market. Really, it's an investment. They're not really beholden to the industry itself and say, oh my God, we can't sell veterinary medicine. It's part of our ethos. We're committed to never sell veterinary medicine. They would drop veterinary practices in a heartbeat if there was a better investment opportunity. And that's really when you look at corporates that have one hospital to 2,000. The veterinary market's an investment opportunity. It's like buying two-family or three-family houses in the city of Boston because it has a huge college population. Well, now with the advent of COVID and a lot of people studying remotely, do you need to rent a house in Boston to live anymore? Can you live at your parents' house in New Hampshire or Wisconsin or Nebraska or Florida? Maybe. So are two or three-family houses in the city of Boston or surrounding area a great investment? Maybe not. Same thing could be said for veterinary hospitals or dental practices or dermatology practices or CPA firms. (laughs) Are they good investments? They could be if you make them a good investment. That's all the corporate medicine is doing. They're trying to take your raw investment potential, hard work, and bring it to the next level. And I hate that next level phrase because it's so nebulous, but they're just trying to mold it in a better image than what it is now. And are they willing to pay more or is any buyer willing to pay more for potential value? Yes, but we always tell buyers that are buying whatever dental practices, veterinary hospitals, you don't want to pay for future value. You want to pay for present value. The seller wants you to pay for that future value. So there's always a dichotomy where people want to pay more and other people want to pay less. And somehow you're going to negotiate, hopefully in the middle, so everybody feels like they win. But that's all corporate medicine is. You're an investment. And it makes sense too, because the pet care industry itself, through recessions, people still spend money on their pets. They talk about millennials now that pets are their children and the amount of money that they spend on pets, not just in veterinary care, but also in diet, in clothing, in all of these different things that the veterinary industry is an ever-growing industry, which is what we're seeing in right now, the veterinary shortage, right? Like we can't even hire enough people Veterinary schools, there's not enough applicants to fill veterinary schools because there's just so much need. And so it is a really great investment, which I think is too why we have a lot that we can learn from corporate medicine. 
So one of the other things that we talked about before we got on here was how to increase efficiency. When you look at corporate medicine, corporate veterinary medicine, it's very efficient. They have very structured protocols, not all. Again, we're talking in generalizations here. We're not saying all corporates the same, but there's a lot more delegation, which we have talked about. Veterinarians don't have to do everything. You have a team, use them. Use your technicians, use your practice managers, use your receptionist, use your vet tech assistants, your kennel help. You should have a team, utilize them, delegate, be more efficient. The doctor does the three things that only a doctor can do, diagnose, prescribe, do surgery, right? They go in, they do the exam. Here's this, come back out. I go to my technician, Kayla, here's Fluffy. I need you to get an x-ray, pull a CBC in chemistry, and then we'll reassess. Then my doctor goes on to the next room. Kayla takes Fluffy, does these things. It's just that flow, that, that efficiency that can help make money, basically, and make it just move easier. Your clients are in and out faster. Everything is getting taken care of. So delegate, be efficient. One thing that I want to talk about with regard to that is missing charges. The more people who are involved in one case, the more chances that, oh, did you do an ear swab in cytology? Oh, shoot, I forgot to mark that off. It didn't get charged. So it's very, very important that you have a way to make sure that things are getting charged when you do them. So we have a treatment sheet. The receptionist checks them in. This animal is here for an exam. They circle it. They circle the vaccines and all of that. Once they get into a room, they might do other things. And maybe we do have to do an ear swab in cytology. So then the technician highlights the ear swab in cytology, as well as the exam, as well as the vaccines and anything extra. So then when it comes back up to the receptionist, they say, okay, well, I know the circled things are already in the computer, but now there's a couple of highlighted things in there too. I need to make sure that those are in there. So as things get done, I know a lot of practices have tablets or laptops that travel around. So it gets entered as you do it. Because if you don't enter it as you do it, or in our case, we have treatment sheets that are laminated, you do you, whatever works best for your practice. But it's important that those charges either get highlighted or entered or whatever so that you're not missing them. Because being efficient and delegating is important, but getting paid for what you do is also important. So we had visited a hospital in Melrose, Mass, Stu Silverman, who's a practice owner there. And it's an IDEX show site. They have every IDEX product in the world. I'm not promoting IDEX. I'm promoting the system that is present there. So Dr. Silverman, which he said took a long time and a lot of work, had programmed templates in the cornerstone so that he could make his exam length shorter in duration, that he wouldn't have copious notes that he would have to transcribe after every patient encounter. He set up templates for every patient encounter so that they would be fully documented, all his treatment notes, and he wouldn't miss any charges. And I don't think people utilize, clients don't utilize the full extent of their software so that they can do this. I know I instituted software in our practice, one called TaxDome, that I know enough to be dangerous on it. Should I know a lot more? I learn more every day because I think, how can I make myself more efficient? And my team members say that I need to be more efficient. So they yell at me about it. He took that to heart and just basically did it. And he said it increases his productivity. I think he increased his production 10 to 20% in the year that he did it because he wasn't missing charges that he had historically missed. His team members didn't have to wait for him to finish his notes. He could move on to the next patient. So whatever software you're using, 
make sure it, it can help you practice more efficiently. If it can't help you practice more efficiently, move on to something else. I mean, we have practices that switch software all the time. They go from EasyVet to Vetter to EVET practice to Cornerstone. I mean, somebody's always moving. And I think Jenny has used the same software since she opened. I have. But here's the thing. I worked at other practices that use different types of practice management software. We use Avamark. Again, I'm not speaking necessarily for Avamark. That's what we've used. That's what I learned on in the late 90s, like when they first came out. I will say this. For a long time, we used Avamark basically to keep track of our clients and our patients. We had paper charts. We printed out all of our lab results that we did in-house and put them in the paper charts, all of this. Avamark had a, a software you could go for two days and really start to learn the software. And that was when I kind of had same thing with you, right? With Taxdome was you start to go, whoa, this can do a lot more than I thought it could. And I think this can really help. And then it took a lot of arguing with me, with my husband, that we really needed to get rid of the paper charts that we found everywhere because he didn't get his charts written up on time. And so they'd come over to the house and they'd end up in his vehicle and they'd end up underneath... <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't even tell. I think we found one under a refrigerator once. I mean, they were everywhere. So we finally had a conversation about the fact that to be more efficient, we needed to look into being paper light or paperless. So I called Avamark Technical Support and I said, this is what I want to do. I don't know how to, one, learn this and two, train my team. And they gave me the name of someone who came out here. We shut down for a Saturday. We're usually open for half a day on Saturday. We shut down for a Saturday. I paid my team to be here, bought them lunch, everything. Two full days, Saturdays and Sundays, it was mandatory. And he taught us how to do everything. And what you were talking about, the templates, right? We have fast keys where if my husband is filling out his medical record, he types in SGE and hits like the space button or something. And all of his notes for a routine, normal ear, eyes, nose, throat exam pop up. So it's just ease, right? It's easy. We now, people are texting us pictures of, here's a lump on my dog. Fine. We put it right into the medical chart. Utilize the software, but you got to learn how to do it right. And I guarantee you that if you call, whether you use Cornerstone, whether you use Avamark, whether you use whatever, there's so many practice management software systems out there. Call your tech support and say, I need to know how to use this more. I need to know what all I can do with it. It's great. Our clients send us pictures of their pets. We put it in there. Their receipt prints out. There's their dog's picture right there. It's great. Our clients love it. We love it. It makes it so much easier. I can almost guarantee that everybody listening to this is not utilizing their software as enough. I know I still am not utilizing our software as much, but we have it now that if somebody comes to pick up metronidazole for their dog that has diarrhea, automatically prints out that sheet on metronidazole, adds in the pet's name and the owner's name, and here that goes with the med. So now they know that they need to give it on a full stomach, whatever the case may be. But all that information is there and it prints out automatically. When animals come in for dentals, we can just put the before and after pictures right there. All of the take-home instructions right there. We have them sign it. We scan it in. We attach it in our medical records. They go home with it. Then we know that we went over it with them. And they signed that they know what they're doing after surgeries and after dentals. It's so fast and so easy. But you got to ask for help and you got to utilize it all the way. I like the templates and stuff like that. Now, one of the other things, we had two more things that we wanted to talk about. One of the other things you wanted to talk about was refinancing your debt. Please enlighten us. Well, you were enlightened. I hate the paperwork, but it saved me a lot of money. So I think it's something that people look at vendors a lot, but they don't look at their own debt financing as much. If there's an opportunity to restructure your debt, 
and to get a lower rate. I mean, now most people are refinancing their homes and we've had clients refinance their principal residences a couple times in the past year. But the opportunity to refinance your veterinary hospital debt is tremendous. I mean, there are banks out there introducing rates as low as 1% for 18 months, then they convert to a fixed rate. But if you haven't done that, it's an instant cash generator that you can use for other things, whether it's team member bonuses, buying new equipment, funding retirement plans, other employee benefits. The opportunity is there, so you should explore it. Yes, it is painful, as Jenny said, to provide all the documents. And I get emails every day from lenders working on behalf of our clients, some of them asking silly questions, and some just keep asking the same question over and over again in different formats. But we work through it just because we know the end result is much better cash flow for our, our veterinary hospital clients. Now, is that something that a lot of corporates come in and do right away? Well, corporates, depending on how the people are investing in the corporate, some corporates are backed by traditional bank financing. When they're buying your hospital, they're going to a bank asking money. We have some corporates that we are CPAs for that have investors that invest money in them and they use that cash to pay out owners when they're buying their hospitals. Some corporates are on a five-year plan where they're buying hospitals, they're repackaging those hospitals as an investment opportunity for somebody else, what they call it, recapitalizing. Basically, they're, they're flipping it. You're flipping a house in Florida to somebody else that's going to flip it in five years to somebody else. I mean, the goal is hopefully you're not stuck holding the bag and can't get rid of that investment. I mean, that's what corporates are doing. That's why they want you to be more efficient or they're going to make you more efficient. They want more profitability because somebody else is going to have to have a new story. Five years ago, these hospitals were this profitable. They don't want to sell that investment five years later and say, oh, what we bought five years ago is the status quo. They want to repackage and say, we've grown these hospitals 12% a year in, in top line income. Their profitability has increased 28% year over year because of things that we've done, either buying patterns or better delegation, better efficiency. So it's a continual process. They're recapitalizing, hopefully, to either get more money, to buy more hospitals, to generate more profit for their investors. It's a game. Hopefully, you're on the early stages of that game. It's kind of like buying Bitcoin when I should have listened to that cab driver in DC five years ago and bought it when it was virtually nothing. She said, it's going to be the currency of the future. And I said, oh my God, what am I listening to a cab driver for? You never know. Sometimes you get ideas and they just pop at you from wherever. But yeah, refinancing, the paperwork was a pain in the butt. I'm not going to lie. But man, did it save me money. I am shocked at the amount of interest that it has saved me and that it's going to save me in the lifetime of my loan. If you have not refinanced, look at it because holy cow. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. All these things that you kept talking to me about that I finally listened. It's amazing what happens. Profit solver, refinancing, like it's just eye-opening that I should have listened to you, what, eight years ago? Hey, at least you did listen to me. I did. The lesson to learn here is to maybe get a CPA that you can trust and then listen to him. Can we talk about discounts? I was just going to say the last thing that we want to talk about is discounting. Don't do it. No. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Everything we're usually saying is do it. This one's don't do it. So here's the thing. My husband would give everything away for free. Other vets that I've worked with, it would give everything away for free. I will be very honest that the only discount that we offer in our clinic, other than for team members, 
is a military discount. We offer 10% off of professional services and vaccines for current military and anyone who has been honorably discharged. That's the only discount. We work with a couple of rescues that are 501c3s that we're their veterinarians. They do also get a discount as well. But what we don't do is I don't do discounts for seniors. I'm sorry. We try and keep our prices low so that they're affordable. We don't offer multi-pet discounts because each pet is going to get the same amount of attention if you come in with six, if you come in with one. They're all going to get nose-to-tail exams. They're all going to get the same care. So no, I'm not going to discount you because you have 20 pets. There's no discount for that. But I'm trying to think of some of the other discounts that people have out there. There are a lot of different ideas for discounts. Sometimes vets just go, wow, your surgery was that much? We should discount that. Okay, here is the easy way to think about discounts. If your hospital is making 10% profit and you discount something 10%, you broke even. You didn't make money, you didn't lose money, you broke even. If your hospital is making 10% profit and you discount something 20%, you just paid that client to come in. Who explained that to me, Mark? David McCormick, the illustrious David McCormick. Where did he get his idea from? (laughs) No, I won't say he got it from me. But there's something to be said about that, right? You discount something and you really need to start thinking. So say we just did a surgery, okay, and it took a CVT and a veterinarian. And they say, oh, that was really expensive. And I don't think that the owner can pay it. So I just want to take $150 off. How much do you pay your team? Because now I'm betting that you just took away that $150 is how many hours for that CVT that now she is not getting paid because you discounted it. And also remember, free has no value. I say this all the time. One of my favorite professors actually taught me this in a small business management class. Free has no value. If someone gives you a bike, just gives it to you, that bike is going to sit out in the backyard while it's raining and get all rusty. If you save your money and you buy a bike, you are going to take care of that bike. It's going to get put away every night. You're going to make sure it's locked up when you go places, right? Because free has no value. So if you're giving things away for free, your client does not see value in it because nothing's for free. I don't get to go to the gas station and get my gas for free. I have to pay for it. It has a value. Going to the grocery store has a value. Going to my dentist, going to my doctor, all of that has a value because I have to pay for it. If I got all that stuff for free, what's the value to it? If it's free, then anybody can do it. We had a large 10 doctor hospital that gave away, when I looked at their financial statements the first time I interviewed them, $360,000 in discounts. I'm not talking discounts because they're turning in a coupon for flea and tick preventative. I'm talking discretionary discounts that they gave to senior citizens, friends of friends, just discretionary discounts that if the doctor felt that you needed a, a treatment plan, but you couldn't afford it, they would just have it done for free. So people think that I gave away $360,000 of discounts. So if I'm 10% profitable, I really only lost $36,000 of profit. No, you lost $360,000 of cash that flowed to the bottom line as pure profit. Yeah, you're going to pay tax on that, but I'd rather pay tax and be left with what's left. But what's the bad thing? For a valuation standpoint, they lost $1.8 million of value. So if they were worth $5 million in a true environment where they're not discounting, they're only worth $1.8 million less, so $3.2 million. If they're selling to a corporate, possibly more. 
So they're losing that $360,000 every year. What could they do with that $360,000? They could pay their team members more, have more employee benefits, invest in a new facility. They could have built out a new facility every year as a satellite. And you could keep your prices down on other things. People think, okay, well, I want to make more profit. What do I have to do? I got to charge more. Maybe you're being inefficient. Maybe you don't actually have to charge more. Maybe you just have to discount less. Because if you stopped throwing that money away, you wouldn't have to go up on your charges because you already have that money in the bottom line. You would already be able to pay your team more and do all these things. So it just blows my mind sometimes, the thought process of take money out of your pocket and throw it in the trash. And they're like, well, I'm helping this person out by discounting it. That's fine, but you're hurting the 20 other clients who come in and just pay for whatever you tell them. So why not make it fair across the board and try and keep your fees steady? If you want to give a discretionary discount when it's really warranted, those should be more judicious and you should probably have some policies and procedures on when you do that and how much they can be and have an annual limit per doctor or per staff member. If a technician wants to give a discount because of some special circumstance, they should be able to too, but they should be limited and they should know the parameters when they should be offered. I'm not saying that all discounts are bad. I do allow my, my, especially my receptionist, because sometimes when we see emergencies 24 hours a day, something could come in and then pretty soon someone who set up their routine appointment three months ago, now they just waited over an hour to be seen. Okay, their time matters and we need to make sure that they know that. I have told my receptionist, look, if you have to give them 10% off, do that. If that will help make them happy, do that. Because in the end, if we can keep them happy and they keep using us for the lifetime of that pet, you're going to make that 10% back, right? But in certain cases, because we need them to know that they're valued. So that is another case where I think a discount is sometimes warranted what you're saying, but put thought into it. Don't just throw them around like confetti. The willy nilly approach just doesn't pay any dividends now or in the future. It doesn't. And I know because I've done the willy nilly approach for a while. So we talked a lot about things that we can learn from corporate. The last thing was questions that get asked by corporations when they want to purchase a veterinary clinic. Can you talk about that? So we're involved in a number of acquisitions now where people are shopping their veterinary hospital to corporate medicine. And there's a whole bunch of buyers out there, people that don't even own a veterinary hospital, but they're a corporate group in their own mind. And these hospitals are going to be their first acquisitions. And there's others that own hundreds of veterinary hospitals. They're all really probing with deep questions to find out if they're making the right investment. So they want people that plan. They don't want a hospital that's been thrown together, packaged nicely, and then when they buy it, it's all going to fall apart. They want policies and procedures. They want budgets. They want marketing plans. They want growth plans. They want to know how people are compensated. They want to know roles and responsibilities. We have a practice that's being evaluated now by a buying entity that wants to know all the duties of what their practice manager does. We have a corporation that is buying another hospital that found out that the hospital manager makes double what most practice managers make in the surrounding community. That's not my hospital. No, it isn't. Although you are due a raise, I think. Okay. Can you say that again? I'll make sure that my husband listens to this one. So they're trying to uncover all the sight unseen things that may be going on in a hospital. We had one hospital that was supposed to be paying single health plan rates to every employee, and some doctor had convinced the practice manager to put her and her husband on a joint health plan at the hospital. And 
they never knew because they weren't that involved. So what you're saying is there is a benefit to strategic planning. There's a benefit to kicking the tires on every aspect of your practice, purchasing HR, strategic planning, budgeting, accounting, finance, your loan refinancing, similar to what a corporate would do. I mean, we're trying to say you can beat them at their own game, but you have to be just as smart as they are. You have to ask the same questions. You just can't rest on your laurels because things change. I mean, if your profitability dips 2% in the next year because COVID may be relaxed and you're not paying the same attention to your team, your purchasing, your patient base, you can't just sit back and say, oh my God, how did that happen? You should know why it's happening and fix it before it happens. And that's where corporate medicine, we talk about the detriments and the things that have happened, like in my town where after one year, a corporate entity cut down all the trees on the property because they were on a major highway and slapped up the ugliest sign I've ever seen in my life. And the whole town is in an uproar. They're saying, how could this happen? Well, the owner sold. And I don't think he made the right choice, but in his mind, he did. And you know, everybody else is living with it. Actually, some startups and some of my clients that are in the surrounding area, even like a quarter mile away, are benefiting because patients are leaving in droves because they're not happy. But there's a lot we can learn, too, from corporations. There's a lot you can learn. Don't cut down all the trees on your property and put up an ugly sign. <laughs> <laughs> but it's keeping your patient base happy. Patients aren't leaving in droves from this hospital because it was purely owned by a corporate. It's because they're not seeing emergencies or urgent care cases like the old owner used to. At 5.30, when they close at 6, they're not letting people come in that are sick. They're saying, go to the local emergency hospital. And that's rubbing people the wrong way. It's not the same family-friendly entity that it used to be. It's changed. It's not to say that can't be a business model that works for your veterinary clinic, because that might be something. If you're a single practitioner, you have kids at home, look, maybe you do have to close your doors at 5.30 and say, I can't let you in. But if that's something that they expect and they know coming into it, and you make up for it with your amazing customer service and your great team that dotes on them when they come in the door, then that can be done. But when changes like that happen and they're unexpected, I think that's when people are like, I didn't know that was going to happen. And they just leave just like that. So, right. I think that there are things to learn and always good and bad from corporate. I think that's the whole point of this podcast. It's never just one thing. You need a multi-pronged approach to maintain your profitability, your customer service, your ability to provide care, not now, but in the future. That's what corporate medicine is trying to do, whether they do it well or better than most of us, that's to be decided. But you can only do, like we say, take care of you. Yeah, you do you. you know. Jenny's favorite phrase. <laughs> you do you. Yours is it depends. Mine is you do you. <laughs> but it's true. And I think that it's just important to... Be as invested in your, you said it, corporates are buying veterinary clinics because it's an investment. We need to remember that our clinics are an investment as well. We invested our time, our blood, sweat, and tears, our sleepless nights, maybe our financial security, all these different things we invested in our own clinic. And then we kind of just sit back and say, okay, we're just going to let it run. But there's something to be said for continually looking at these things. How can we be better? What can we do differently? taking an input from everywhere, from your team members, from your clients, from corporations, from all of these areas and saying, how can I be better? How can we be a better us? And I think that that's something that it has to be an investment. 
and act like it and do that planning and have those conversations and negotiate so that you're getting the best prices so that you can offer the best. It comes full circle. But remember that it's your investment too. So we've heard some clients tell us that their conversations with corporate have gone as follows. You guys are doing everything well. There's nothing we can change, but we just want to help you grow and provide the support and capital to let you do the things that you want to do. And I'm like, wow, that's what every conversation should be like. You're doing everything great. Can we help you in any way? And that's what you want to hear from, hopefully, everybody, right? I would love to hear that from my CPA. (laughs) You're doing everything right, Jenny. Thank you, Mark. Well, I'm a very nurturing person, Jenny, so... (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Veterinary Survival Show. And we hope that you will send us your ideas, any thoughts that you might have. You can find us on Facebook and find us on Instagram. And you can find us by Googling Mark CPA to the veterinarians. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you've gotten something out of this. And we hope you join us for our next podcast where you can learn more ways to survive in veterinary business. Thank you so much and have a great day.